0: Hello and welcome to episode 6, series 2 of the Rock and Road podcast. This is Leona Graham and it's a podcast featuring cars, motorcycles and music. And have I got a show for you this week. I'm going to review a Honda Civic Type R, which is a souped up Civic. See what I thought of that? I'm going to speak to James Toesland, the World superbike champion 2004 and 2007, plus lead singer and pianist in his own rock band called Toesland. And of course, I'll recommend a couple of really good albums. But first, let's try out that bright red Honda. This is the fifth generation of Civic Type R and the 10th generation of Civic in general, as opposed to the model's heritage of being understated in appearance. This is, well, quite a change in direction with this car. It's a very bold looker. We have a massive spoiler on the back. Huge alloy wheels, all kinds of sports detailing inside and out. It is certainly something that is making people stop and stare. Pricing starts from just over £30,000 and because of these looks, the latest generation Civic has been met with mixed reception since its debut in 2017. I love it. Everyone that's walked past the house, the neighbours, have wooed and whooped and gone, ooh, that's incredible. Um, but would they buy one? No. <laughs> However, though it may look different, this is a full on Type R. So it's got a two litre turbocharged VTEC, a good old fashioned six speed manual, 0 to 60 is achieved in 5.8 seconds, top speed of 169 miles an hour. OK, let's take it out for a spin. I'm with Harley. What do you think of the car so far?
1: It's extremely sporty and uh, fashionable. We have
0: several driving modes and they are comfort, sport and R.
1: Can we do each? Let's start with comfort.
0: Okay, let's pull away in comfort mode. It's front wheel drive, so the front wheel was just spinning then. I would have preferred a rear wheel drive.
1: Comfy though.
0: You think it's comfort?
1: Yeah. Why? Because it's comfort mode.
0: (laughs) Why? And that means you're comfortable?
1: Yeah. Do you not? Uh, I suppose so.
0: Yeah, so when you really try and accelerate and utilise its sports facilities, it just wheel spins. Right, should we go into sport mode?
1: Yeah,
0: okay. Any difference?
1: Uh. The wheels still
0: spin. Okay, let's put it in R mode.
1: Is that, like, super sporty? should be.
0: Okay, when I'm in R mode and I put the clutch in and I go down a gear, it does an extra rev by itself when the clutch is in. But other than that, it doesn't feel indifferent. You can't just drive around this slowly. It makes you want to drive fast.
1: Yeah. In the zombie apocalypse, this would be the car that I steal to drive around in. <laughs>
0: you know this red colour here, it's an extra. It costs extra when you buy the car. Wait, so it'd just be black? Well, there's other colours, but if you wanted this particular pearlescent red, it costs, guess how much?
1: £500 extra. More. 10000 <laughs> I don't know about money. It's confusing. Oh, God. Like, you parents think that one pound is literally nothing. To us, that's like a million.
0: £850. See, I
1: was close. I think
0: that's quite a lot of money. Would you choose the extra red?
1: Yeah, if I had, like, if, like, I had unlimited money.
0: Hold tight. Oh, wow. This I went round fair. that corner really hard and fast, it didn't even slightly slip. And that's why we have bucket seats, to
1: stop me from turning. But the, the car just gripped the road, it was amazing. Yeah, that's why I would take this car, so that I could drive like a maniac.
0: So we're going to pull over now and buy some butter, because, you know, we're just so cool and hard in our sports car that we've got to go and buy some butter for a Mother's Day cake.
1: Right, so, what's our final thoughts on the car before we take it back? Uh, it's awesome, it's awesome, and it's also awesome. I mean, when you weren't
0: in the car, I was just saying how this car has an element of boy racer to it, so I think that's why you might like
2: it.
1: There's also, underneath the um, the big uh, screen thingy, like, where you play the radio, there's also um, a power outlet, HDMI, and, like, I think it's, like, a Wi-Fi thingy. Oh. Uh, 1.5 A. Thank you, Harley. what's in the glove box? Um, the instruction manual, uh, the key card, code card, and, uh, well, space to put stuff in.
0: So that's 11-year-old Harley's thoughts. Let's hear from 7-year-old Dexter.
1: Much better to do the seatbelts. So what do you like about the seatbelt? It's so smooth. I have to do this rushing
0: it down in the other cars do you
1: like
0: the color of it yeah it's nice isn't
1: it it's red and black
0: lovely bright red seat belt okay let's get you on the school run the rear camera has come on now that i'm in reverse and it does have a good vision of the back in terms of the angles that i can see but one slight problem i think the camera is out of focus because it's really blurry don't you think dexter Mm, not really yeah look at that person there you can't see the detail on her at all i think it just needs a bit of adjustment, that camera.
1: Not really. It's quite good.
0: Did you like the spoiler on the back of the car?
1: What spoiler?
0: You know, that big thing on the back. Look behind you. Oh, yeah. It's called a spoiler. What do you think of that?
1: Oh, this is a sport car, then. Do you like it? Yeah, I want you to go it. It makes car. it look
0: sporty, doesn't it?
1: It even tells you that cars are coming. And you're a terrible driver, Lily.
0: <laughs> Thank you. That engine. Oh my gosh! You like it? Oh, it's ever so sporty. I really feel like I should be on a racing track. One of the things I've noticed is this is not a school run kind of car. It's very lumpy and bumpy because of the low profile tyres. You feel every single. Uh, well, there's loads of road ramps around here anyway, but potholes and things like that. They are 20-inch black alloy wheels. They look stunning. As I say, not really a school-run kind of car, but then it never claimed it would be. It's not a family car. For example, in the back seat here, The middle seat has no seat belt, so this is no good for a family of five. This would only suit a family of four. The gear knob is really nice. It is a matte silver finish with red writing with the gears um, engraved in red. Absolutely stunning. But the shape of it is very ergonomic. It's a teardrop shape. And Honda claims this improves shift accuracy because it contains a counterweight and I must admit that changing gears is a really nice experience on this and they're quite short between each gears. It's quite a small way to go. The audio system incorporates an active sound system so this uses the speakers to enhance the engine sound which I wasn't aware of but I can definitely hear the engine and I love it. On the media centre, it does have some physical buttons here on the right which has been added because some owners said that it was too fiddly before to operate. But I must say that the software does feel a little bit out of date. In fact, they haven't really changed that since 2017. But you know what? Overall, this is a driver's car. If you enjoy driving and you enjoy going up and down the gears and hitting it hard on the corners and accelerating quickly, especially if you live in the countryside and are able to do so, this is the car for you. Now, make sure you have a look at the photographs I've put on Instagram of this. It is pretty impressive to look at at Rock and Road Pod on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Now, my special guest is only a world superbike champion. Please welcome to the podcast, James Toseland. Hi, James, how are you? I'm very good, though, thank you. Yourself? Yes, good, thanks. Um, you're actually the perfect guest for this podcast because the podcast is about um, cars, bikes and music, and you're an expert in at least two of those. <laughs>
2: <laughs> As Milo said, so two out of three ain't bad, right? Exactly.
0: <laughs> um, which do you love more, actually, music or bikes?
2: Oh, tough one, tough one. I my, my life started with music. My gran played the piano lovely and she taught me as, as a young child when I was about five, six. And then I had professional um, piano lessons when I was about eight and kind of got to the grade six and just that was my life and loved it. And I was thinking about going to uh, the London College of Music and doing it seriously um, and then my mum went out to the pub and brought a biker back home and he bought <laughs> me a motorcycle for, for, for Christmas when I was nine and all the plans kind of changed and went upside down and um, I found myself riding around in circles for 20 years um, and, and winning stuff and it was uh, uh, but uh, they have two different kind of feelings for me and emotions to me and I love them both equally for what they brought to me life I mean I love the racing because of the speed and the adrenaline and just, it was just cool. You know, as a kid having a motorcycle at school and all the rest of it, I got, I got like 20 new friends at school. I, did, I didn't have many friends until I got a motorbike. And, what was your first uh, motorbike? My first motorbike was a TY80 Trials Bike Yamaha. And I did trials riding, which is like the balance and the skill for about four years. And, and I really loved that, that discipline before I went on to motocross and then road racing. But, but trials riding was, was the first thing I was taught as, as a motorcycle rider. And that developed the love of it for you? Yeah, the trials riding was a real community. You know, they all everybody kind of like uh, gathered around, and and just at the beginning of the actual section that you had to get through without putting your feet down, that was the kind of the discipline of it. And everybody kind of just sat there chatting and like comparing notes, and you know the parents all just kind of like just walked around the sections, and it, it was a real nice kind of community, and it, and it wasn't overly competitive, you know, because it was just you against the section rather than you against some other competitor as such, and it was quite a nice kind of um, way in. Mm. To before before competitiveness became a, a real thing, you know, especially yeah. In h-
0: how did he go from that to becoming World Superbike champion twice?
2: I'm not sure to be honest. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's obviously a screw loose somewhere. Um, <laughs> that's that's the main advantage to any motorcycle racer is is to not think about it too much. I don't think because when you're flying around this, you know, at the top level, you're 220 miles an hour most weekends, and it's um, it's pretty hairy. But you know, you never look at it. You never have any self preservation questions that you know things could go wrong you just feel like uh, you know indestructible and for some reason these high adrenaline sportsmen like myself it, it, we, we're born with a lack of, of that self-preservation i think and, and fear uh, and it's great but it, it, it bloody hurts at times <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, but being world superbike champion
2: 2004 and 2007 what are the highlights Crossing the line at 23 years old and being the best in the world at something you can't you can't even put into words, um, and and then again to do it again in 2007 to kind of um, to confirm um, that that you are the best in the world kind of then brings that that the biggest reward I had from motorcycle racing was the respect I got from everybody once I kind of achieved what I'd had a long time for a long time, and but you know you can take the trophies away or the all the titles whatever but. It's it's the respect that you get from the fans and the respect that you get from your competitors and and, and the people that work in it um, that respect you for what you do and how you do it and that's that's the biggest reward.
0: Well, actually, you won BBC Yorkshire Sports Personality of the Year in two thousand and seven, didn't you? So you got a lot of respect for that.
2: Yeah, you know, to 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 win it in Euro your, um, where, where you're from, and obviously my roots are very much in Yorkshire. Being born in Doncaster and raised in Sheffield, and that it's uh, it's lovely to be recognised. Yeah. But sadly, you had to
0: retire, and that was through injury.
2: It was, yeah, in 2011. Literally, it must be 10 years to the day, nearly. Oh, wow. That I crashed in Spain, in Aragon, and and fell off, and unfortunately just went over on my wrist really badly. I didn't break anything, but I dislocated every single bone in the wrist, and um, and, and the surgeon tried to to put them all back into place. But unfortunately, when I recovered from from the, uh, the operation, um, it meant that my wrist didn't bend anymore, and to for a motorcycle racer, for the wrist, right wrist, especially not to bend to control the throttle, um, was 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 yeah, uh, it, it was game over, unfortunately. It was, yeah, and that was only how did just, you deal with just, that just, news uh, um, as well as anybody could? I, I, I had to stop what, what I loved doing very much, and not only was it something I loved doing very much, it was my life. That's I, every time I woke up, I tried to be fitter and better and stronger and faster as a motorcycle racer, um, and 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 that that life had gone. So it wasn't just losing my job or career; it was losing my way of life, and that was very very difficult. And it's been ten years, like I say now, and it's only just becoming comfortable. It's like I can only compare it to being uh, like a bereavement of losing a, a special family member, and and losing my racing career was very much like bereavement. And you moved then back into your music
0: um, because by 2013 you, you released an album, you, you had your own band called Toesland. How did that take place? What, what happened there? It's the only thing I knew what else to do,
2: basically. Um, I, I'd still, I was still quite an accomplished piano player, luckily, because I, I always played because with the racing side of it, I enjoyed the playing even more because it was the only thing that took my mind off off the job and, and relaxed me. So I love my piano um, uh, alongside the racing. And when I rode for Yamaha for three years, um, I, I, I went to Japan a few times to, to promote the pianos as well as the bikes. And um, it was a great time that to kind of like bring both in together. But yeah, as soon as I had to stop, then I was like, okay, I'm I'm gonna try and do the music like I actually initially wanted to and do it professionally, which was was brave and it has been brave because to get recognized as a as a professional musician after being so well known as a professional sportsman in another industry to get accepted is quite, uh, is is really difficult. I I know, it's it's a little
0: bit impressive, I have to say, that you've had two careers, um, completely different careers and both successful, but here utilising your piano skills and you're the main vocalist.
2: I'm a little bit Freddie style. I do sit down and play uh, to to a few of the songs that we wrote, and but you know, because obviously Queen and Freddie Mercury were with my idols growing up with in, in the industry, and uh, and I loved that Freddie used to sit down and, and and play as as well as as well and play rock music. Because obviously, when you're a little young kid uh, learning to play the piano, you're very very much pushed towards the classical front when you're taught. And but I, it wasn't really my passion, classical music. I always loved pop and rock, especially like the Elton John to to, to Queen. And like Meat Loaf, obviously with Jim Steinman and all the rest of the background with the piano players, I loved it. And and Freddie kind of made playing mute piano in a rock band acceptable because it was it was always you know the uh, the not so masculine kind of like instrument in in a, in a band, especially it wasn't accepted in rock ways. It was all very much guitar driven, wasn't it? Yeah. He so, um, was. Yeah, I loved it. And uh, I, when did you realise my... that actually you had a good rock singing voice? Ooh, do you know, I played in a covers band for 10 years alongside my racing and we did rock covers and I found out I could sing a little <laughs> bit like Axel Rose and all the rest of it and I sang Sweet Child of Mine in that band and uh, because I could sing Sweet Child of Mine, if you can, you can just about pull that off, you can probably maybe have a go at most things. <laughs> <laughs> so you put the
0: band together and uh, you released a few albums, but the last one wasn't until 2017. Is there
2: more to come? Bringing right up to date, I've had three operations on my wrist in the last year alone. And it's been really uncomfortable because I had four screws in there. Uh, which was made plain very, very difficult and uncomfortable. And I have my sixth operation in total on my right wrist on the 13th of April. And I hope that this is the end of the 10 year saga with this problem because Mm. living with severe pain as well is another story completely with medication and all the rest of it and, and, and living with pain just generally. And I hope that uh, the 10 year anniversary is going to bring a close to it.
0: You've had some great singles and great albums with Toesland. So we, we definitely look forward to hearing more from you and your band. And I noticed on Twitter that you are giving away or you're, you're auctioning off your old racing leathers to help raise funds for charity. Can you tell us about that? <laughs>
2: I've been a patron for Sheffield Children's Hospital for um, about 16, 17 years now. And we do the egg run, it's called. And we all congregate, all the motorcycle riders congregate at the police station just off the parkway on the way into Sheffield. And we ride from there all the way up to the hospital. And there's a big park, lovely park, and car park uh, opposite the hospital. And about 1,000 motorcyclists drive past the hospital and all the kids can see all the bikes and the noise and and, and the experience. and, And then I take Easter eggs around to the kids at Easter. And uh, we're doing everything we can to, to, to fund a new cancer ward. And I'm selling my leathers off. I've only got one of each one of each year. And this time we're going to be doing the 2005, which is my World Championship Leathers win, uh, and also 2006 from uh, from my Honda from me year. And hopefully we can raise over ten thousand pounds with with uh, with the auction and the raffles going. So
0: on. So, if anybody so, wants uh, to take part in that, do they follow you on Twitter? Where's the best place to find it?
2: Yeah, if you look on my socials on the Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or even go directly to the Sheffield Children's Hospital, you'll see the, you'll see the links there for the raffle for one set of leather, which is only £5 for the raffle to win my World Championship ones, uh, and the auction ones where you can just bid directly for, for the other set. But I've got about another six, half a dozen sets to do, so it's going to be a bit of a campaign.
0: Yeah, and just looking at your Instagram name, it's toesland underscore band, and on Twitter, James M. Toesland. Now, moving on to cars, what type of car have you
2: got at the moment? Do you know, I'm sat in my Volvo XC40 and like that must sound the most exciting kind of like car for an X racer. But I went 220 miles an hour most weekends for 20 years. And I'm a bit steady on the roads, to be honest. So I get a lot of grief for driving a Volvo, (laughs) but I like it.
0: Not from me. I won't say anything. (laughs) Um, Now, what kind of music do you listen to when driving? Because
2: obviously you've got your own music, which is fantastic rock music. Is that what you normally listen to? Oh, uh, give me some classic rock, and that's it. You know, I'm I'm 40 now, and and and, and I've I've kind of grown into my music taste, <laughs> which I'm really pleased about. You know, <laughs> when I, when I was listening to Meatloaf and Brian Adams, Aerosmith, uh, or Guns N' Roses, all of those, all of the classics. Do um, you know I went to an Iron Maiden concert a couple of years ago? Oh my god, uh, I, <laughs> I, it wasn't it wasn't really a band on my radar because they were a little bit too kind of like. Um, proggy, rocky, like heavy, yeah. but um, you, you have to go to an Iron Maiden concert live in your lifetime. Everybody Does, was listening. It changes everything, doesn't it? Once you've seen them it, live. It's just a fabulous experience. Amazing, amazing, amazing band, amazing legacy, amazing history, amazing uh, musicians. I think that's what we forget sometimes with rock. It's not just noise. There's some amazing musicians that, that create that noise and that excitement. And I think with the pandemic and coronavirus and being restricted to go and see live music, if uh, if you want to get back in there with a bang, go and see live I made Awesome suggestion.
0: What was such an exciting life so far? What are your plans for the future?
2: Wrist. Try and put a closure to that. Get back into creating. Try and get uh, this third album recorded and and out. And then hopefully see what we can do with putting the band back together again and getting out there on the road, if and when we can. And uh, I might get back into television again, hopefully if possible, with a bit of commentating or punditry, like an expert, you know, um, on the TV. So we'll we'll, we'll see, but. I'm yeah. Just kind brilliant. Of everything. So, yeah I'm well, first
0: of that. all, get well soon with the next operations that you've got lined up. And um, best of luck with getting Toesland back together and all of your future plans. And thank you for joining me on the podcast. Pleasure, Leon. Thank you very much. Now on to my album reviews, an album that came out just recently, March the 19th, is by Chris Cornell. It's called No One Sings Like You Anymore. Chris Cornell, who is dearly departed now, of course. The album has been released by the Chris Cornell estate, particularly Vicky Cornell, his wife and her children, Tony and Christopher Cornell. Now, Chris Cornell handpicked these songs. There's 10 cover songs he personally selected and sequenced them to celebrate artists and songs that inspired him, recorded back in 2016. It's his last fully completed studio album. And it features renditions of John Lennon's Watching the Wheels, his version of Harry Nilsson's Jump into the Fire, which is brilliant. He even does an ELO song, Showdown. He does one that's been popularised by Janis Joplin called Get It While You Can. Um, One that you may well know, nothing compares to you. Of course, originally written and sung by Prince, made famous by Sinead O'Connor. But Chris Cornell does a brilliant version of this on his album. Here, He has got a great voice and this is the tragedy of it. His vocals are stunning. And then there is a cover version of Guns N' Roses' Patience. It's out now. It came out on March the 19th. Chris Cornell, no one sings like you anymore. Now onto a classic album recommendation, and one I've been playing on my record player recently. I've got the original vinyl of Thin Liz's album called Fighting, which was their fifth studio album, came out in 1975. Featuring the amazing sound of the twin guitars from Scott Gorham and Brian Robertson. And I guess it's a mixture of rock, rhythm and blues, folk, and... A bit of pop as well, I suppose. And it was the first one to chart in the UK, got to number 60. It starts with the song Rosalie, which you may know. It's actually a Bob Seeger cover version, that. But it's the album tracks here that show some real gems. And this is what gets lost in the digital age, because everybody just listens to the odd song on Spotify. Listen to whole albums. I can't say this enough, because that is where you discover the real gems of a band. So some of the songs I really like on this album, the really groovy for those who love to love, that's track two, a more angry and determined song, Fighting My Way Back. Um, I'm not always a fan of ballads, but I love this one. It's more chilled and a vibey kind of sound called Spirit Slips Away. And lastly, one called Silver Dollar, which my dad would love because it's just got that rock and roll rhythm to it. And he loves all songs like that. But the album is called Fighting, Thill Have a listen to it in its entirety and enjoy. Hi, Harley. Hello. How are you doing today? Good. Are you going to grace us with your presence and one of your lockdown life philosophies? OK. Well, don't be too excited about it.
1: OK.
0: Harley's, Harley's Lockdown, lockdown life, life
1: Philosophies. philosophies. So, tracksuits are just jumpers for your legs.
0: Harley's Lockdown Life Philosophies. Interesting. I think we are kind of scraping the barrel with your philosophies at the moment, but uh, we'll take that one. OK. Right, off you go. OK. Well, he was full of beans today. Quick word from Dexter, then, before we go. Hey, Dexter, how are you?
1: Really well. Wow. OK,
0: why are you so well?
1: Because, uh, I did, uh. Easter bingo, and I won a gigantic egg, and got really excited.
0: That's great news. You want an Easter egg?
1: Yeah. Is it chocolate? Chocolatey.
0: Well, you love a bit of chocolate, there's no yeah, doubt I about do. that. Yeah, I do. Okay, well, should we say happy Easter to everyone then?
1: Happy Easter, everyone. Bye. Bye, Dexter. That's it on the
0: Rock and Road podcast this week. Next week, my special guest. Now, we've had the Only Fools and Horses musical on the show, but what about somebody from the original cast, Raquel? Yes, I'll be speaking to Tessa Peake-Jones from Only Fools and Horses, the original TV show. Also, I'll be trying out the Harley-Davidson electric motorbike, the Livewire, and telling you what that is like. And that's on the next episode of Rock and Road Pod. Please like, rate and review. Thank you for listening.